Hello, in this week's show, the worrying rise of internet blackouts to stifle dissent and why going green is a matter of survival for small firms. Also, the pandemic's $2.4 trillion hit to global tourism, what new migrant worker numbers tell us about the world economy and an alert over the humanitarian crisis in Ethiopia's Tigra region. That's all coming up in this week's UN Catch-Up Dateline Geneva with me, Daniel Johnson, and regular guest Solange Bejotegui-Cortez. Thanks for listening. Let's start with the news headlines. UN humanitarians expressed concern on Tuesday at the uncertain situation in Ethiopia's conflict-ravaged Tigray region, despite a ceasefire call from the government highlighting the ongoing famine-like conditions there and the potential for disease outbreaks. The development follows Monday's reported entry into regional capital Mekele of forces loyal to the opposition after nearly eight months of heavy fighting. UN humanitarians have warned that 140,000 children are acutely malnourished and at risk of dying unless aid access is forthcoming. The UN refugee agency UNHCR also expressed deep concern about the latest developments inside Tigray, particularly the lack of electricity and phone networks. Here's spokesperson Boris Cheshekov. This is making it even more difficult for our staff to work and deliver humanitarian assistance. We call for calm and restraint and appeal to all parties to the conflict to abide by international law, to protect civilians, including people who have been displaced. The global tourism sector is likely to face ongoing uncertainty for the rest of the year, resulting in losses to the world economy of up to $2.4 trillion. According to trade and development body UNCTAD and the UN World Tourism Organization, a recovery is not expected before 2023. Current international traveller numbers are 73% lower than pre-pandemic levels. Here's Zoritska Urasevich, UN World Tourism Organization representative in Geneva. We have lost 1 billion travellers, so 1 billion opportunities for people to build livelihoods, especially in developing countries. The number of international migrant workers has increased from 164 to 169 million, the International Labour Organization said, noting a marked rise in the number of young people seeking opportunities abroad too. Despite their value to the global economy, the UN body warned on Wednesday that many migrant workers face uncertainty at work, a situation made worse by the pandemic. Here's Manuela Tomei, director of the International Labour Organization's Conditions of Work and Equality Department. We have seen that in a number of regions and and countries, migrant workers represent a sizable share of of the labour force. So they are contributing, of course, to the economies and societies of destination countries, but also of their home countries through their remittances. More than two in three migrant workers are concentrated in high-income countries, with 63.8 million in Europe and Central Asia and another 43.3 million in the Americas. Finally, the practice of shutting down internet and mobile phone access to stifle dissent has become entrenched in a growing number of countries as governments seek to retain power, a top UN-appointed independent rights expert said on Thursday. In a report to the Human Rights Council in Geneva, special rapporteur Clement Vuhl warned that shutdowns are lasting longer and becoming harder to detect. The tactics were not limited to authoritarian regimes either, he insisted. Internet shutdowns are rising out of control. The number of governments imposing internet shutdown during mass demonstration continue to grow. Shutdowns are lasting longer and have increased in sophistication targeting social media and application most used by protesters. The special rapporteur highlighted at least 768 government-ordered internet disruptions in more than 60 countries since 2016. 
The headlines there, and this is UN Catch-Up Dateline Geneva with me, Daniel Johnson. Now to this week's interview with Pamela Coke-Hamilton. She's head of the International Trade Centre, which has warned in a new report that small businesses could face a Covid-scale economic shock from climate change once a decade. Now, we're the UN, and I'm afraid we can't help letting slip the odd acronym here and there, so if you should happen to hear SMEs crop up in the next few minutes of audio, it's a reference to small and medium-sized firms. Sorry about that. Anyway, back Back to Pamela Coke-Hamilton. Here's what she had to say. I really think it is important for SMEs to recover greener from the pandemic. And let me tell you why. At the most fundamental level, it's about enabling SMEs to not just survive, but to thrive. You know, to not limp from day to day, eking out a living. But to try to build resilience and competitiveness by adopting green technologies and incorporating measures that open new windows of opportunity. So there's no doubt about why resilience and sustainability of these enterprises and the entrepreneurs matter because they constitute 90% of businesses and 60 to 70% of employment and 50% of GDP worldwide. Now, whether the pandemic or climate change, small businesses are less resilient to shocks and we established that. So if such resilience is necessary during the pandemic, it will be even more crucial in addressing climate change. And the economic disruption of climate change, according to Bill Gates, is expected to be that of a COVID-19 sized pandemic happening every decade. Can I just ask you to repeat that? You just said that you're expecting yes. climate change to be as bad as COVID yes. once every, once every decade. decade. COVID-19 size pandemic happening every decade. And both Stiglitz and Stern also indicated that the climate change will be worse than the COVID, just in slow motion and much, much worse. Putting it like that, it really puts it into context that something needs to be done right now. And the ITC, the International Trade Centre, has launched the new report empowering the green recovery with 20 recommendations. So which of the recommendations is going to be the most important for small businesses? I guess, which is the one that they can afford would be one of the first questions. I think the first thing is, understandably, there is a great deal of reticence from firms about you know, the cost of going green. But the first thing we do is we look at the business case. Our report shows that it creates greater resilience for firms. It helps to reduce costs and increases productivity. And so small firms can go green, tap into new business opportunities, and take actions such as reducing waste, gaining green certifications, going digital, which leads to new financing opportunities. So going green is actually a survival imperative in the coming days. And the longer firms take the act, the higher the costs are going to become. But if I had to pick one recommendation, it would be to facilitate financing. The biggest challenge for most MSMEs is the perceived prohibitive cost of going green. And so the financing in line with the call by the SG for the mobilization of 100 billion in green financing, is going to take many forms ranging from BSO support to access finance, specific targeted interventions by governments, and also financial institutions working with governments to incentivize going green. And let's just stay with that financing, this going green recommendation from the International Trade Centre. Why isn't there more urgency to help the small businesses that will go under, most likely by the end of the year, unless something is done? To put it mildly, I think the simple answer is because change is hard. You know, it takes effort. It takes commitment. It takes a willingness to step outside the comfort zone. If banks have been able to make money doing the same thing for decades, what's the incentive to change? 
And this is why one of the key recommendations in our report is that governments need to begin to work with financial institutions to incentivize change. They need to start providing fiscal incentives for investing in green technologies for SMEs. They also need to look at training of these financial institutions on how to assess green returns, looking at also investing in climate bonds. But it won't happen just because it's the nice thing to do. That's the reality. There has to be a mechanism that is an agreement both at the international level and at the level of national policy that interventions will take place that will encourage and facilitate the redistribution of funds in a way that enhances green recovery and that supports MSMEs going green. We haven't spoken about gender. Can you just give me a quick idea about the gender breakdown of small and medium-sized enterprises? Which ones fared better or worse, depending whether they're run by men or women? That's such a significant question. And if there's one thing this pandemic has done is that it has laid bare some hard truths about the gender impact. You know, small businesses, especially those led by women, minorities, ethnic and migrant groups suffered the most. And women-led businesses are disproportionately impacted by the pandemic. And this has had a serious ripple effect on social welfare of the family, communities and society. I mean, we've read all the news about the increase in domestic violence. We've read that up to 2 million women in the U.S. alone would be leaving the workforce because of the increased pressure. So the impact has been unequal. And International Trade Center survey on COVID-19 in 136 countries shows 62% of women-led small businesses were really negatively affected by the crisis and compared to just over half for men. And then among African small businesses, only 27% of women-led firms were able to invest in at least one measure to reduce exposure. So it's given the unequal manner in which the pandemic affected women, we need to have and design more specific targeted solutions in a way that addresses the real issues that women face. Pamela Coke-Hamilton from the International Trade Centre on why we should be pushing for more help for smaller businesses to withstand the economic fallout of climate change, which is already with us. This is the part where I hand over to the show's regular guest, Solange Berdeke-Cortez, for some closing thoughts. Hi, Solange. Hola, Daniel. What can you add to what we just heard about the challenges facing these microfirms, which are often one-woman, one-man bands? Right. You know, I think a, a small business often starts with someone's dream. Someone for whom the objective would be to get out of poverty. But what does poverty look like? What is the color of poverty? It's gender? It's age? What is the size of poverty? According to Pamela Cook Hamilton, small business led by women, youth, minorities, and migrants have been impacted disproportionately by the pandemic. In other words, the smaller the firm, the stronger it felt the negative impact of COVID-19. It seems, after all, size is not everything. For the International Trade Center, small business can and must rebuild in a way that prepares them for future shocks and strengthens their competitive position. But how? It seems we can find the answer in a single word, resilience. I must admit that the word resilience sometimes makes me uncomfortable. Can you recover from 
everything. I think of Judith Butler in her last book, Le Vivable et l'Invivable, in which the philosopher warns that some wounds never heal, that it is risky to attribute to someone too quickly a power of resurrection where it is not possible. But then I thought of all those women who, after living through difficult trials, rebuild themselves and rise like warriors to create and build small business that give them the independence they seek to move their families forward. These warriors are survivors, fighters, and they build and rebuild over impossibilities, smiling at life. I also remember it, all the anti-heroes that could resist and reverse oppression in spite of everything. Alice Walker, the author of The Color Purple, lost her eye at the age of eight. She lived the experience as a mutilation, but she gained strength through her writing and her characters. The oppressed emerge victorious in her fiction whether they are Indians massacred in the Amazon rainforest, gypsies deported or mistreated women. So yes, as Pamela Cook Hamilton told us, resilience is crucial to face the next crisis and going green is a matter of survival. For the International Trade Center, by raising awareness about the benefits of investing in the green economy and equipping small enterprises with the skills they need to get there, we can achieve a just transition to environmentally sustainable future. And now, Daniel, it's too strong a temptation not to say. I have to mention the greenest poem I can think, Romance Sonambulo, from the great Spanish poet Federico García Lorca, which begins with the line, green, how I want you green, verde que te quiero verde. Finally, and after all, size doesn't matter, especially when small goes green. <laughs> Thank you so much, Solange, and really great to hear you coming across so crystal clear with a new microphone and a great setup at home. We're small, we're a small little podcast, but we seem to be doing okay. I guess we could probably go greener, so there is perhaps the message for this week. A quick word finally to say that there's no show next week as I'm off on my holidays. So we'll be back on Friday the 16th of July. We hope you can join us then to catch up with the work of the United Nations. Bye-bye for now.